while I think of it, we uh, have about three uh, amplified Bibles. Do we have them yet? We don't have them yet. They're on their way. We do have the bill for them. We ordered them, and uh, rather than just order one at a time, we've ordered three more amplified Bibles. They're the hardback kind, and uh, they'll cost you somewhere around $12. Now, that's about 40 to 50% cheaper than you get them anyplace else. And if you would like to have one, why, uh, you see Sister Host call immediately after church, and uh, she'll reserve one for you. And if we don't have enough, we'll just order some more. So remember that. I want to read to you tonight from the 10th chapter of Jeremiah, the last uh, three verses. And then when you find that, I'd like for you to turn to the last chapter of Malachi, the last two verses. While you're finding that, if you can thumb through your Bible and listen at the same time, why, <laughs> because that's hard for some of us to do, it's hard for me to do, but if you can do that, tonight I want to talk about, I'm sure, what seems to you uh, and will be a familiar subject, but one that some way all this week I could not escape, so I had to begin to dig in and try to find out what I could scripture-wise, and begin to outline just a few things that would maybe reach your heart. I want to talk tonight about the importance of the family to our nation and to our church and to the world, the importance of the family. All through the Old Testament, the family was important, how it was ordered, laws was laid down to govern the man and the woman, laws was laid down to govern the children. That's because God wanted families that were right in his sight. And then, of course, Jesus picked it up when he was here on earth, and then the Apostle Paul picked it up from him and let us know that well-ordered families was what the world needed and especially what the nation needs and what a church needs. Now, I want to read to you uh, Jeremiah's groanings, and then I want you to hear what he has to say uh, about families. And I'd, I'd like for you to realize that these are words that would do us good. Starts in at the 23rd verse of the 10th chapter. Jeremiah is before the Lord, and he says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob, and devoured him, and consumed him, and have made his habitation desolate. Now, if we're not careful, we won't catch the very, very important words that Jeremiah is saying. We'll think on terms of, man don't know the way himself, somebody needs to direct his steps. We'll catch Jeremiah asking for correction, but uh, with the divine judgment of God, but not with anger. And we'll catch the first portion of that when he asks for uh, the fury to be poured out upon the heathen that know they not. I want you to notice that he identifies another group there that we need to look at, and it says, Upon the families that call not on thy name. And he lays at the foot of these two, these two, not just the one, not just the heathen that had infiltrated their ranks, but upon the families, that was Hebrew families, Israelitish families, and he lays to them what has happened to Jacob. And notice what he says, for they, that is the two, the heathen that infiltrated the ranks of the Israelites and the families that call not on thy name, they have eaten up Jacob and devoured him and consumed him, and have made his habitation desolate. Now this is just one of many scriptures that point to the necessity of well-ordered families based upon the Word of God and what it can do or what it can bring if they're not. I want to talk primarily tonight, and of course usually it's the case, uh, when you want to talk to somebody, they're not here. But I want to make it hard. Now, women, God bless you and your patient, and women usually get the blunt end of every message. Amen. Amen. 
So tonight, although in a sense we'll be speaking to you because you'll be a portion of the family, I would like to direct most of our remarks tonight to man. And if any of you ladies are brave enough, and you think your husband wouldn't throw you out and shoot me, I'd like for you to get this tape and take it home and see if he listen to it. Like I said, you check your bravery and see if you can stand it. And you come up and tell me what you're going to do so I can leave town. All right? But I think this is a message not to downgrade. I, I don't want to do that. But I would like to show us that we're in quite a desperate strait and we're seeking answers and we're going to the polls very soon to try to find those answers and of course we'll not find them there. But the answer begins at the family. Your family and my family. It begins on how we raise them. What kind of an atmosphere we present to them. What they live in, whether they live in paradise, so to speak, or whether they live in hell. And you'd be surprised how many Christian children live in pure hell by Christian parents. Amen? Amen? Because somewhere, somehow, we do not realize that our religion starts at home. And that it branches out from home to our jobs and eventually comes to our church. And then to our nation. But I want to read to you the importance of what Malachi thought as he ended his chapter. As he begins to say, before Jesus comes, he said it is a necessity and he will do it. And I believe that ministry, in a sense, has begun now. It hasn't reached its climax or its great power. But certainly there's a realization in the land that it is needed, and that's more than it used to be. He says at the ending, just before he closes the final chapter, and they don't hear from him anymore for hundreds of years, he says, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and this is his job. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest. In other words, he's saying, if this isn't done, if it isn't completed, I'll come and smite the earth with a curse. In other words, it should be very plain that if the family is not united, if the family, so to speak, are not what they ought to be and well-ordered as they should be, each individual finding its place, we can look for revival, but in vain, because it will never come. Revival does not begin at the altar of this church. Revival does not begin at our standing up and testifying. Revival really doesn't begin with our attendance of church. Revival begins in our home. As we, as mothers and fathers, accept our responsibility in our home and children coming unto obedience to the divine plan of God. Once revival starts at home, there's no telling where it'll spread to. And uh, God was speaking to Malachi and saying, if the earth is not smitten with a curse, it's simply because the messenger has been able to turn the hearts of the fathers. I think that's important that we realize that. You say, oh, it just said that. No, whenever mothers need a place, it's mentioned. And mothers certainly feel a place. But the heart of the fathers need to be turned back to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. In other words, get dad back where he's respectable and doing his thing, and children then will align with him and not alienate from him. You see, the old ideology, so to speak, is dad makes a living, mom raises the kids. Dad does what he pleases, and mom takes all the responsibility. And you can tell when you look out over this congregation and others that mom has shouldered the greatest responsibility, something that God didn't even make her for. And I've said it often, women experience nervous problems and nervous breakdowns simply because they are carrying the load of the individual that should be carrying it, and which is dad who is safely at home with his television set turned on and his feet propped up thinking he's the best dad in the world. While all at the same time, 
He is disobedient to God's word and breeds no respect from his children. And mothers faltering under the load because they simply were not made to shoulder that responsibility and take that leadership. To start off with, one million couples. Let's find some causes for this calamity that we have in the world. Let's find some reasons why kids would run the streets out here from well, supposedly well-ordered Christian families. Let's find some reasons why mom and dad can go to church and shout and the children can do their thing when they're still under the same roof. Let's find some reason of our state that we're in as our nation. Bible tells us we'd turn and seek his faith. Then we would hear from heaven. And seeking his face means to find his way. Because of the way men have done, so to speak, and some women, one million couples divorce. I will divorce during the coming year. One million marriages on the rocks. Now sociologists estimate by the 21st century more than half of all marriages will end in failure. In other words, 50% of everybody that gets married will be divorced, and that within a span of a year. Now you can tell me that's nothing for a Christian to be concerned about, but it is. The fate of our nation is at stake as to what we do about this. Now the American family as we know it faces to me and my estimation as well as others the most crucial days that it ever faced in the decade just ahead of us. I think we ought to realize that the war against the family has not just begun, but it is in full swing. Things are happening every day that you sit and wonder, why are they happening? What is happening to our families when we do our best to raise them to the best of our ability? They're in a world that don't care. They're in a world that says dog eat dog and someplace, somewhere, mom and dad are not coordinating their efforts and finding their place. And so consequently, the family is in a crucial crisis. My family and your family. Young families as well as old. A basic family unit, as we know it, I'll say again, is under such an attack that there hasn't been. And almost all sociologists agree that there's never been a society that has been plundered and tried to do away with as the families of our society. It's crucial. Our news media. And let me take my time and keep your interest right here and pray if you're about to go to sleep, holler. Or get up and do something where we need to hear what I have to say, what God has to say. And in some way we need to make application to our lives. Let me just stop here long enough to say that it is very easy and it's human nature. For us to look around and see somebody else making mistakes with their family and children, we can see this. And it's very easy for us to imagine that we could raise them far better than mom and dad are raising them. And by the same token, somebody is seeing you and your failures, which the devil has covered up. So tonight, basically, sound advice would be to look at no one else, realize this is their responsibility, and cover our own lives and see what is right and wrong in our lives. Because basically we're all failures. And basically God is trying to get us to see that it's not something we skim over, we take it to heart. If we could, if we would, and begin to do something about it, it wouldn't materialize tomorrow, but before this next generation reaches past this toddling stage, there will be a change. There has to be a change. Let me say it again. There has to be a change. I, for one, want Jesus to come, not with his smiting hand to this nation of ours, 
But I want him to come and raise our hands in glory and honor with him and realize that we have been a nation that has been willing to supersede even the laws of Christ. To correct our past mistakes. To enter into what is a great and grave responsibility. But our news media, our literature, our movies, our educational system, and even our religious organizations are attacking the family. Some of them verbally, some of them in actions. Our popular television programs are continually promoting anti-family concepts. I challenge you to turn on very few programs on television and see if some way, and I have watched this over the last two weeks, since God has laid this on my heart, but what before it's over, in some way, they have downgraded the American family. They have made dad look like an idiot. They have made mom domineering. They have made children rebellious. And they've set forth everything that is against God and says it's all right. And some religious organizations say as long as they get in church. Friend, if the church is like the world, what's the use to have a church? If we teach the same precept as the world, what's he used to bring them to church? We'll get to that a little bit later on. They promote abortion. They say it's the thing to do. But I wonder how many of us have really ever, and I have, have really ever talked to a young girl that has been induced by her doctor to abort the child as the thing to do. And somewhere, somehow, they had no insight to see that guilt that would riddle that child and cause guilt unbelievable and heavy so much that they're hardly able to forgive themselves for what they have done. This is our society. This is what we are breeding. And this is, for the most part, what the church by its inactivity is alluding to. We let it pass by as of no consequence to us. Divorce and remarriage. Every place fine. And I'm not against these things in a sense if it's a betterment for God. But just to marry just for the sake of lustful fulfillment. And then remarry is fulfillment of the scripture. And adultery is flashed on the screen. That's the topics of the day and the thing to do. There's something wrong with you if you don't. A man that don't step out on his wife is a prude of some kind. A wife that doesn't find somewhere somehow an extra affair someplace is an old stick in the mud. That's why society, what it's producing. You say, oh, it isn't, but your world and your town is filled with it. And you very well know it as well as I do. And it infiltrates and it hurts and reaches even into our most protected families. That atmosphere has an effect on them. It can't help but have an effect. And some way I, I got a feeling that we have been silent maybe too long. I pray some way that God would forgive us. But there's sex without love. That's the thing to do. That's the thing to do if you're a high school student and, 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 and if you're a virgin, there's something wrong with you. That's plain language. That, that is so. That's exploding in our junior highs even. It's the thing to do. Everybody does it. So why not you? What's the matter with you? Are you a square or something? And instead of giving them an answer, no, I am not a square. And I am what I am because I believe in the basics and morals of my Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe my body to be far more important than just giving it away for nothing. Let me tell you something, young men. God doesn't just command that girls be virgins. He commands young men to be them too. Premarital sex, find that every place. I don't want to seem hard and I don't want to seem harsh. But a lot of times, as parents, we leave the door wide open for it to happen. 
Come on, you say, oh me, oh my, if you want to, but it does so happen. We just present the perfect place. And I ask you something from the depths of my heart. What has happened to self-esteem and willpower of our individual lives? Christians I am talking about who know full well what it's all about. What has happened to us? Oh, you say, God will forgive. Yes, He will. He will and He does. And I'm sure there would be some that could verify it. Sometimes it's living hell. Because we've got to reap what we sow. Amen. We can never have the full trust and satisfaction and the perfect family that we would have if this never occurred. And you know that as well as I do. I think I'm speaking for the benefit of you young people it has been propositioned and perhaps think that now almost is the time that it ought to happen. I wonder sometimes, moms, I wonder if you've ever talked to darling daughter, told her about these things and admonished. And dad, you hiding hypocrite, you sometimes had to leave all of this to mom. I wonder if you've ever talked about this to your children. I said it before, I raised three daughters and not one of them was ashamed to come and talk to dad about their life. I didn't feel like I was invading their privacy and they didn't feel like I was either. They felt like they had need of advice of somebody that had been there and they thought dad was the one that could give it and I left the door open for it. Amen, Brother Hoskoff. Rebellion against authority, and on and on and on and on I could go. But for the sake of time, we'll try to go on. Let's look at some of the causes of this. Let's find some of the things, and I don't know how many I found. In fact, I think I've written out as little a type as I can, about eight pages, and I didn't cover two-thirds of the research on this. How what breaks down family life of what has infiltrated our homes through the tube and through radio and through ungodly school systems. But let's look at the cult, so to speak, of the Playboy Society. It's funny. Lewd books and magazines and all how we joke about it sometimes. Yes, we do. And I wonder sometimes if you realize that this has swept America. I mean, it has literally obsessed and taken control of the lives and hearts of young and old alike. Playboy is one of the best-selling magazines nationwide, and it might surprise you to know this last year, Playboy took over the sales of the Bible, which has for hundreds of years been the best-selling book, and it's number two behind Playboy. And most Christians are not even aware of it. And I wonder sometimes if we could care less. How many times have we made a scream whenever they put the things right there on the shelf, right easy for 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old boys and girls to get a hold of. And that sets never an outcry, never a voice lifted, never a challenge. Because after all, we're Christians. We raise our children different, and maybe we do. And let me ask you something, what about that individual boy or girl that's never had such training, should we make it easy for them? I don't think so. It's only one of dozens of magazines of its type presenting, and though it's filled with filth, but it's that, that's not the thing really that it does the best. It presents more than dirty and lewd pictures. It presents a lifestyle and promotes that same lifestyle that says down with a family we don't need it anymore. Who needs a close-knit family? Who needs dad, the authority head? Who needs mom always bossing around? Who needs kids that's obedient to their, uh, uh, to their parents anymore? Who needs this in this open society? And it cries it and screams it. And not only does it do that, have those spirits emitted from it, are lights upon unsuspecting minds of unsuspecting men, women, boys, and girls. And the church sits idly by and allows it to happen. We spend and while away our time in our callousness and in our concern 
while this all goes down the drain. While it's screaming out, taken over the best-selling book and screamed out by it that we don't need the family unit anymore. As one professor put it, after all, children are wiser today than they were yesterday, so they don't need the controls placed upon them that they did yesterday. Hogwash, poppycock, trash, demonic forces and spirits are on the move. And many are glad to let it be. We have a movement that's rising up. And that movement is called the Women's Liberation Movement. I guess that's probably one of the best philosophies that Satan has. But it's nothing more than a revolution, a female, so to speak, counter-reaction to the playboy philosophy. And the very women that scream that they are being mistreated by male sovereignist pigs dress immodestly and live immorally. It's no wonder that they are being, quote, mistreated. I want to read you something. I've hammered this from the pulpit. It has been disrespected. It's been laughed at and all of this. But I got my information not only from the Bible, but I worked at Bowen Center and they presented some of these things. Let me read you something that says views on clothing different. This was in the Evansville Courier. This was written by the, uh, taken from the New York Times, and it says these words. Teenage girls may think wearing tight jeans and no bra simply is the height of fashion, but adolescent guys think these clothes are sexual come-ons, according to California University of California, Los Angeles found that the boys read more sexual connotation into the girl's behavior than the girl realize that they would. Both sexes agree that a see-through blouse on a girl is probably was a come-on. According to the survey of 14 to 18-year-olds published in October issue of Psychology Today, but the men were likely to interpret low-cut tops, shorts, tight jeans, split dresses, no bra, as deliberately enticing as well, according to a survey of 432 young people. Now you stand up and tell me, and I've had them do it, that it's just the thing and boys don't pay any attention to it anymore. But I've had grown men come to me and was concerned about the way they felt inside because of half-dressed young girls that's allowed to run. And dad sucks back knowing full well what's in the heart of man and allows it to go on. And a girl is taken by force and they want to crucify the young man. They told me at Bowen Center some of the things and they gave the percentage how most of them thought, actually thought that the girl was actually wanting what they gave them. And that's plain, but that's so. And that wasn't a lie either. And they presented this type of dress. And I wanted to read it again. Low-cut tops, shorts, tight jeans, split skirts, no bra, as deliberately enticing young men. That's what 400 and some of them indicated as they interviewed every one of them. 100% agreed that they thought it was a come on deliberately. Now if you girls would like to uh, challenge that, then uh, challenge it. But I'm sure that you can get the truth from some of the friends of yours that uh, don't care to let you know about this. They would tell you. People are mistreated simply because they ask for mistreatment. I think the thing that bothers me, and I'm sure it must bother God, is that parents, Holy Ghost-filled parents, good church members, reliable individuals that never miss a time in the house of God and pay their tithes and are good prayer warriors can sit by and watch this hellish thing invade their home and never open their mouth about it. Amen, my old You check the magazines of this movement. Check Playgirl, Cosmopolitan, Vogue, and on and on, and again you'll find nothing. Not one thing that supports the family. Not a thing that supports motherhood. 
Not a thing that supports submission and not one thing that supports decency. It's not in there. My afternoon soap operas, and here you go again, Brother Hoskoff, continue to spin their things around sexual frustration. Look at them once in a while. You say, how do you know? Look, I used to watch them. I got so entwined in them, and that's been years ago, that I would try to quit whatever I was doing, even if it was Bible study, to get in what's happened the rest of the time on days of our lives. And all you saw was sexually frustrated women and men. Very little happiness whatsoever, and if it was, it was short-lived. Marriage and divorce, and more than anything else, around failure. Do you wonder, and I wonder if you've ever thought, what induces a woman to feel like she's a failure? And if there's anything that'll drive a woman over the edge... It's when she thinks in her heart that she has failed completely. And that's all those things breed. It's failure after failure. And yet with gullible eyes and lustful heart and say what you want to, we stand with our eyes wide following them day after day while they spin that web of deceit around us. Could your time not be spent better with visitation to the sick or afflicted or prayer? You have so much time, you say. Heard somebody tell me just the other day, but yeah, but I don't know what, I'd, I'd go crazy if I couldn't watch them the days are so long. You're going to go crazy if you do, I guarantee you that. Amen. The only thing that has kept you up so far is God has saw your ignorance in it. God has saw you never really saw the depths of what it's all about. And I want to challenge you. And I'm not trying to get on anybody's case because I don't know who does and who don't. And I want to challenge you to shut that thing off every evening for six months and see the difference in the spirituality of your life. And I challenge you to spend as much time in prayer and Bible study as you do with those filthy things. And if you don't go, there's something wrong with you. Amen. Homosexual revolution. Gay liberation movements become another weapon in Satan's arsenal of his attack on the family. How, in God's name, can you have a family if both of them are males and both of them are females? And yet God's very order has to multiply and replenish the earth. And it still sounds out how a woman was created for her role and a man was created for his. This movement, I of late, has become very vocal in its demands. And this is not mine. I got this. The failure of male leadership. With that failure, we can and we will experience an increase in male homosexuality. They are 90% of the time the product of a dominant mother and a weak, recessive father. Somebody that thought all they had to do has go to work and come home and pop their feet up and say, Mom, go to church and take the kids. I am too tired. And to leave the load of responsibility upon the shoulders of the weaker vessel and let them shoulder this while they sit back in the snugness of their own self-satisfaction and let the devil whisper to them that they're doing their thing. I think a family ought to be a family. I think if God gives you a child, you ought to raise it. I think if God gives you a wife, you ought to love her. And if God gives you a husband, you ought to love him. And I think they were placed together to stay together. To do things together. To worship together. To raise children together. And to be in one mind and one accord with it. I don't suppose any husband or wife will ever agree on any one thing. The primary failure of it all is for one to say one thing and then child is smart enough to know that if he goes to dad, he'll change the order of mom or go to mom and he'll change the order of dad and just use that thing to pry and tear a family apart. And while the child is out in obedience to their lust and self-gratification, mom and dad is left home torn apart as they fight over who is responsible for the child. Society continues to play down the seriousness of this problem. But the emphasis, and I want you to notice, 
is ultimately the same through homosexuality, through the ERA or whatever, it still streams out down to the family. We don't need it anymore. Men can live with men, men and women can live with women. They can even have their churches and for the most part, everyone in the pulpit has mutant mom and nobody says anything. Pray to speak out because they might differ. Hallelujah. I think maybe I'm going to say something here. And I think I have to say it, and please forgive me. I'm not throwing, I'm not, uh, throwing stones, and I'm not criticizing you. And I'm not on any political kick. But I think if we're Christians like we ought to be, I think we'd forget about our parties as Democrats and Republicans. And I think we'd find out who supports these and who don't. And I think we, if we were ch children of God and Christians, I think we would vote accordingly, regardless of who it was. And there are ways of finding out who believes in what. And perhaps we're fighting and, and, and facing our greatest challenge upon the silence of the silent majority. Brother Finney, I think, encroached upon it when he said they were beginning to get fearful of the fundamentalists as Christians getting together and begin to put out some type of crap so to speak of separation of church and state and let on like we're second-rate citizens of some kind I don't have sense enough to know where we're at and let me tell you something friend we are not second-class citizens we are first-class citizens in the kingdom of God and if anybody knows what's going on we ought to know if we don't we need to find out and we can do it in the altar or we can get in God's word and if we really want to get our country back where it ought to be, politics excluded, we'll check out and see who's introducing these type of things. And we'll go to the polls and voice our opinion. Now then, go out and tell your neighbor and your friend that Brother Hoskar was on politics tonight. If you want to. That's all right. But I'm not on politics, I'm on God's side. There's something staying way down deep inside of me. As these things stream out, we don't need the family anymore. We don't need the family anymore. We don't need discipline. We don't need mom. We don't need dad. After all, kiddies, 12 years old, is smart enough to order their own lives. They're just smart enough to be smart ethically. And pardon me, children, because I used to be there. I know where you're at. And I know that I needed the iron hand to mom. There's mom sitting back there and she knows that. She knows that when I was a big old boy, she didn't care to slap my face when I got out of order. I told you and I'll tell you again in case you want to know it. About the time that I sassed her and done something, she just smacked my face. No, I was a big old boy and man, I was just uh, full, full of venom and I swelled up and I thought, boy... I said, you better not do that again. And about that time, wham, on the other side, she took me. And there I stood. Hallelujah. I had been disciplined. I had found out there was a higher power than me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And somebody, as uh, Brother Poole said, somebody put the hammer where it belonged. And it might be good if some of you parents would put the hammer where it belongs. And start when they're old enough to be smart and mouthed. And that don't have to be 12 either. That has to be any more from the time they start talking and walking. We think it's cute until they embarrass us and then we want to whip them. Ah, you mean old preacher. We're making quite a few medical advances but they're questionable as to what they're going to do with society. Through science and medicine, they've made some pretty substantial contributions to society, but they keep asking, keep saying, don't ask any more questions. Just let us do what we've got to do, but don't ask any questions per pertaining to morality. Legalization of abortion now means and this is a proven fact that more babies are aborted every year than is born. All the church would holler if somebody would come in here and take a gun and point it at somebody and kill them.
But let that fetus that is developed and alive and kicking and soon to be born within a few months, let them take suction of some kind and suck them out as a vacuum cleaner would pick up something and snuff its life out or put something up into that womb and cut it into little pieces and abort it. What do we call that? Abortion. What it's saying? Down with the family. You don't need the child. There's more humane ways than that to stop the population explosion. You can call me Catholic if you want to, but they've sure got something on the ball when they holler about that. I'm 100% behind that priest that's running for office if he just knew he was running for something else besides that. That's got put in jail and still getting put in jail up around St. Louis someplace or Belleville because he gets outside of this place and says they're killing babies in there. They're killing babies in there, and they are. But does he get any help? Huh, a fundamental Christian sit back and say, well, I don't believe in it, but it's their business. Is it? Is it? I don't think so. I think it's God's best. And I think we ought to put it right back where it was. Artificial insemination of babies is becoming common. That simply means that children are produced by other people's reproductive elements. What does this do? What does this mean? Actually, it shatters the personal relationship of the family. Let me quote you one example. That children like that will have no real parents. That's already been proven in a court in California... And they'll thus become the property of the state. Has already been a case tried. Or the parent, so to speak, that was responsible or their reproductive elements was used, claimed the baby. And the one, of course, that had the other part claimed the baby. And the court ruled that it belonged to neither of them. And right now that child is a product of the state. It can't happen in America. Well, it has. And it may continue to do that. What it's saying is we don't need the family any longer. In other words, man don't have to do uh, reproduce after his kind. Man don't have to do what he's supposed to do in night of this moment. Let's just mix them up. In other words, let's tamper with what God has made a reality and God's made a purity. Let's hurry on. This is what I wanted to get to really. The declension of male leadership and the faltering family. America is in trouble today because the home is in trouble. And the home is in trouble because men are failing to give their families responsible leadership. Oh, I realize a lot of you is going to say, well, my husband is a good provider and he's a good person, and he probably is. He is probably respected by his peers. He has probably worked long and hard to gain that respect. He is probably influential maybe in the community where you live. And perhaps he's been able to capture the admiration of his fellow workers or people around him. But that does not make him a success. What makes him a success is, is he a good father and a good leader? And does he shoulder his responsibility spirit-wise as well as natural-wise? That's how God counts a good dad. Men. And this has been a proven fact, has led the headlong rush of self-gratification. Pleasure, let us experience our pleasure. How many homes have experienced dad out doing his thing while mom sits home laboring under the load with the children? Who prays when a child is burning up with fever? Who prays for that child? Dad certainly spent too much time gratifying his own desires. I don't say that he has to go out and commit adultery and all of these things. And a lot of time is spent with the boys and it ought to be spent with the family. Out of hours a while away doing this and that and something else while the family that God gave them sits there suffering and mom sits there shuddering under the load which has been hers and it doesn't belong there.
dad? You can't watch lewd TV movies. You can't laugh at dirty jokes. You can't yell and stomp and cuss at your wife and your children. Downgrade everybody in the home. Hate the preacher for dinner and supper and the Sunday school teachers and superintendent and the leaders. You can't read photographic material and magazines and go out and walk the way you want to walk and expect your children to respect your leadership. They cannot and they will not. Men are the key to the moral revolution in America if we could wake the men up. I'll say it again. If we could wake dad up, if we could wake husband up, if we could find them, make them find their place, there would be a revival that would sweep this world that you simply could not imagine. I'll have to say it. Men have led women and children the wrong way. They've sat there and they've quoted Scripture. Oh yeah, they can do it too. They can set their wife down and say, Hey, doesn't the Bible tell you to be submissive to me? You know, big <laughs> chauvinistic pig, so to speak, and that's what he is. You just submit yourself to me. That's Bible's good then. And when he begins to see what that entails, it's not good anymore. It says, Husbands, Love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Are you giving yourself for your family and for your wife? Or does this world dominate your work, walk and work? I think that it's time for an army of spiritually concerned men to lead us in the right way if there ever was a time that we need men on their knees pray. It's now. If there ever was a time that we quit shoving it off and saying, Mom, pray. Mom, do this or Mom, do that. If there ever was a time we need men to help to get a hold of it. Not because he's any greater, but because he has given this responsibility by Almighty God and our nation is going to reel and rock and go under until dads and husbands can find their prospective places in the body of Christ and in the home. And then revival will come. We need husbands that will love their wife and children above all else. Above all else. Above the boys uptown. Above the uh, golf clubs and the uh, running up and down the road or whatever else that we find to avail our time of. We need husbands that look at their wives say, thank God for her. Thank God for her. And even if you have to do that through clenched teeth sometimes you may. Thank God for Because there'll be a time when you'll really love her. Praise the Lord. All right. We need to turn and we'll close in a few minutes if I can get this thing off my heart. There needs to be old-fashioned Christian morality and conviction. There cannot and there will not be a revival in America without a revival of Christian morals. A revival of Christian morals. And all this hurts to say it. And we fight it all the time. And we're in this time branded as cults and heretics and fanatics and everything else. But today's churches are lowering their standards in a foolish attempt to accommodate the world in its psychology and its philosophy. Anything they say to get them in, I'm going to reiterate a statement of what value is it to have a sinner sitting in the seat of the congregation and nothing in their life has ever been challenged or ever been changed. How what value is it to have your child in a Sunday school where they learn nothing? And where they play children's games, where they play hopscotch and merry-go-rounds and go for treats and all this, that, and something else. Lower the standards all you want to, but this has weakened our stand on the vital moral issues. I want to say something here that I think is a reality. 
when the church has nothing to say to this world, then it's lost its unique purpose for existing. When we have no message of condemnation to that which is wrong, and we have no admonition from God's Word to uphold the standards and point out the right and the wrong, and we can set no man to make up the heads and stand in the gap, then we have lost our reason for being here in this world and upon this earth that God set us here for. Some way let the church awaken to its responsibility and realize our responsibility is not to condone and pat on the back but our responsibility is to hew the mark and toe the line and call sin, sin and unrighteousness, unrighteousness. The Bible tells us we're be to be a committed people with a mission to the world. And when we attempt to be just like the world, in our lifestyles, we no longer have a mission. Church has lost its reason for being here. And that's why they're cold. That's why no souls are born in God help us. That's why no individuals are ever challenged. It's because in our vain attempt, to gain the admiration of the world and to be patted on the back as a fine person or accepted in the society of the religious area. We have tried to alter our lifestyles how we react and the way we dress and what we do and make it the same as the world. And we are not here to change to be like the world. We are set here by the power of the Holy Ghost to change the world and make it be like Jesus. Hallelujah. We need a crusade led by Bible-believing Christians, Christ-honoring Christians, right-living adults, and young people who are more concerned about their spiritual convictions than they are their own personal convenience. I think sometimes when I look out upon our lack and our failures, our inabilities to realize who we are and what we're here for, Sometimes when we're unable to put our personal desires aside for something that's higher than that, I question whether we've ever fully grasped our reason for being in this earth, our reason for living and our reason for being born again. I think it's time for today's Christian generation to stand up on some major moral issues. I think we need to speak out against sin that's eating away at the very foundation of our nation. I'll say it again, we're coming to a time where we can look around and see who supports homosexuality, who supports ERA, who supports abortion. And I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican, we should mark the X against it. Because this is screaming out that we don't need the family anymore. The very thing that's made us what we are the ideals of a free democracy in a society can't survive and this type of being and Christian morals only work as long as they are personally empowered by the Holy Ghost within us. It's the only way that they can possibly work. And as one senator put it, the moral crisis of the latter part of this 20th century demands response from the fundamental Christian. Response from the silent majority. Response from the individual. Although a church-going Holy Ghost field person around about election time lets his politics demonstrate and cry out and he is obedient to that rather than the Spirit of God in what he cries out against. Oh, I realize the human cry today is, Oh, I'm just one. I can't change the world. I agree with you on that. And let me say, tell you something you can change. You can't change the world. But mom and dad, you can change your family. And with that, your family can change the world. Amen. There is a place to start. I think as a husband and a father, we need to give our family consistent example. 
strong male leadership in our home and the hope of America and what happens to us depends upon strong Christian families determined to make your family as we try to bring this to a close a fortress some power spiritual moral strength against the shifting tides of this moral change ah the sands are shifting that that used to cause homosexualities to run and hide has become silent there's been but one thing that's kept this down where it wouldn't raise its ugly head has been but one thing that has kept the hue and cry of a, of a e equal rights amendment so to speak I don't think women should be subversive to men I don't think that they don't have any rights but I think women have rights as a woman and a man has rights as a man and when a woman tries to get in a man's world it's just as bad as a man trying to get in a woman's world I think God made us the way we are and he looked at it and said it is good and he still says it's good anything that's subversive is against him we need to determine to make our home something that will stand things are changing homosexuality is coming out the church and its standards used to keep it down government officials wouldn't let it rise wouldn't let it come out how we've come weak and soft and they sat on our stool and do nothing and we've allowed these shifting individuals to come in mealy mouthed and weak-hearted have no standards no Bible guidelines whatsoever but in the midst of changing times and shifting sands and shifting moral changes there are some changeless truths that's been uttered from the beginning of Revelation from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation that still stands firm and God says I am God and I change not and beside me there is no other and this holy writ was written for us to have admonition and courage and power and it was written there was basic laws and commands and a foundation a Christian family and said stand on the word of God in these foundations and if we do this then we can expect change but if we don't we can't expect any more and the Gentile nations let's read again if I can find that what Jeremiah says pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not and upon the families that call not upon thy name for they He's saying they are responsible for Jerusalem striving, children going into captivity, a word of God being lost. Oh, not just the heathen, but the families that didn't call on the name of the Lord has to bear the responsibility of it. They're responsible for Jacob being eaten up, for him being devoured, for him being consumed. And they're responsible for the habitation of Jacob to be desolate. I don't know if we care to shoulder our responsibility tonight or not. I don't know if I've reached into the heart the gullibility of women and the immaturity of men or not. But at least I have delivered my soul and my heart. And we do face a crisis. And we as moms and dads do face it within our own families and with our own homes. And I think we've been silent too long. But I don't think it's too late to raise our head and begin to cry out. I think it was Ezekiel. Was it Ezekiel? God said, we need somebody to make up the hedge. We need somebody to stand in the gap. Why did we need this? He said, because we need somebody to make the distinction between sin. That we need to call sin what it is. We need somebody to make a distinction between unrighteousness. What was he saying? He was saying that the pastors were destroying the sheep. He was saying that they had no leadership. He was saying there was no distinction between sin. Nobody knew what sin was anymore. He was saying nobody knew what unrighteousness was anymore. I suppose everything looked the same. And there wasn't anybody to stand there and make the distinction and make the separation. And he cried for that and he prayed for that. Our great nation 
for as well as we love it and as well as we like it, it's hard-pressed sometimes to find out what is sin and what isn't. It's hard to go to a church and find out what sin is and what it isn't. Because for the most part, the minister is hard by the people. He's ruled by the people and he's led by the people and he preaches what the people want him to preach. And consequently, he's afraid to step on any toes. Because if he does, his livelihood is gone and he can pack up and leave. So consequently, what they do is fine, even though the Bible screams silently and maybe that man screams silently within him. It's not right, it's not right. But he sold his soul. I said it, he sold his soul. Anybody that caters to the will of a congregation? Anybody that bows to the pressure and their demands, going against God's word, has sold out? You know who we'll answer to. Preachers, you know who you'll answer to. They out there know who they'll answer to. They won't answer to the congregation then. They'll answer to mighty God, judge of all, king of all.